0: On February 1st, my wife was eight months pregnant. She had had morning sickness every day for the previous seven months. The due date was February 28th, so we only had one month to go, and we told ourselves almost like a ritual, four more weeks. On Monday, February 8th, my wife started feeling sick. And She got a COVID test the next day and tested positive on Thursday, so we started quarantining and hoping and praying that Allison and our baby would be unaffected. Then, on Sunday, February 14th, six days later, a once-in-a-lifetime polar vortex hovered over Texas, Our house lost electricity and heat in the middle of the night, so we decided to drive up to my parents' house up in Round Rock, and we prayed that they would have electricity and water for the rest of the storm. And for a trip that normally takes 20 minutes, we drove for over an hour on roads covered with a thick layer of ice. And remember, that option was the best option we had. Needless to say, we prayed for our baby to stay in Allison as long as possible. Thankfully, my wife got through COVID thanks to an infusion of antibodies. Thankfully, our house got through the storm. We know a lot of people didn't experience the same thing. But after a pandemic and a polar vortex, we really thought we had been through the worst February of our lives. And then we went into the hospital for delivery on Wednesday the 24th. And once Allison began labor, every couple of hours, the nurse would check on her, and they'd never had good news. After 26 hours of labor, our doctor came in and told us we needed to change our plan. It was a time to do a C-section. They gave me a blue apron and hairnet and prepared the medicine for Allison and took her off to surgery. And in less than one hour, our doctor was holding our new baby daughter in front of my wife, and the first words my wife said were, is everything okay with her mouth? The nurses brought Evelyn to a warming station and started looking at her mouth and looking at the rest of her skin, and one nurse said to me, we think she needs to go to the NICU. For the next 10 hours, we had no idea why our daughter needed to be there. Later that night, when Allison went to visit Evelyn in the NICU, a dermatologist from Dell Children's had come up had looked at Evelyn and said that she was born with a membrane around her skin. Only one in 200,000 babies are born with this condition. The membrane would put her at a greater risk of infection, higher sodium levels, irregular temperature regulation, and she might not even be able to eat from a bottle. They said that she could be in the NICU for up to four Weeks And we had no idea how long the process would take, and we still have no idea how much of her life will be affected by this. And on... On Monday, March 1st, the hospital discharged us. You know, other moms and dads get to leave the hospital with their baby. and we left with an empty car seat. We drove home, we walked into our kitchen, and my mom and dad and Allison's mom were there with us. And we were in our kitchen and we wept. After three years of following Christ, the men and women who gave up everything for him were actually left with nothing. During one week, all of their plans for their life had changed. At the beginning of the week, the crowds were cheering for Jesus. The disciples thought he was at the peak of his ministry. Nothing could go wrong. They thought he was going to come in, he was going to sit on the throne of David, proclaim his authority, kick out the Romans, and they would be free from oppression. They were riding on Christ's coattails for three years, riding the wave of his popularity. But in a single night... Everything took a turn for the worse. One of the twelve apostles named Judas got up from the Passover meal that they were celebrating together. He went straight to Christ's opponents, the Pharisees, and Judas just sold him out. He betrayed him. He told the Pharisees exactly what they wanted to hear. They needed to find Jesus when there was no crowd around, and Judas led them directly to the Garden of Gethsemane with no crowds in sight, and it all spiraled out of control from there. The disciples couldn't do anything to stop the plan already in motion. Jesus was taken by the mob from Gethsemane to the Jewish religious authorities, and they were just looking for any story that would stick on Jesus. They just wanted to get rid of him. So when all of these uh, false witnesses told these bogus stories, they just pretended to believe them. They asked Jesus if he was the Messiah, and Jesus says yes. And so they decided, well, Jesus needs to die. They turned Jesus over to the Roman authorities, who at first, they, they couldn't care less about what was happening to him. But the opponents of Jesus knew exactly what would scare the Romans more than anything. Christ's opponents told the Romans that Jesus claimed to be king. And the Romans already had a ruler named Caesar, so that makes Jesus a revolutionary. That makes him a rebel And so if he's trying to lead some coup against the government, he's a dead man. So Pilate, the one in charge, sentences Jesus to crucifixion and death. Zoom out for a second and think about what this means just in one week. On Sunday, the crowds welcomed Jesus as king. And on Thursday night, the disciples were celebrating Passover with Jesus, thinking this was going to be the beginning of their freedom from oppression. And by Friday afternoon, Jesus was taken off a Roman cross and put in a tomb. In a week, he had been transformed in the public eye from king to traitor, from ruler to criminal. They had just eaten a meal with him as friends, and now they watched him die alone because they had all run away like cowards. And on top of it all, just to pour salt in the wound, Jesus died right before Sabbath, and Sabbath meant for the Jews that you couldn't do any work, so you couldn't even prepare a funeral You couldn't even grieve your friend and Lord and Master well. So for 24 hours, they just sat around, stunned and in disbelief. And finally, after what felt like the longest Sabbath in human history, a few of the women get up on Sunday morning and they go to the tomb. They saw it as their responsibility just to prepare the body of Jesus for a more formal funeral. They somehow had to change his bloodied and pierced and disfigured body to be more appropriate for a funeral. One of the women who went was named Mary Magdalene, and she saw as she walked up to the tomb that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and she was furious. She ran back to Peter and John, and she told them the bad news. She said, they've taken our Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Mary is worried that the same people who killed who killed Jesus also took their cruelty one step further. They stole his corpse so that his followers couldn't mourn him properly. I mean, the week had already been hard enough for Mary; it had already been difficult. Everything in her plans had changed, but this just broke her. It just made her snap. What kind of men would need to pour salt in the wound by desecrating the tomb of Jesus, stripping his clothes, uh, the burial clothes off of him, and never giving his loved ones a chance to mourn him? Now his body was probably rotting in a ditch somewhere. She realized she would never see her Lord again. And so Mary stood outside of the tomb, and wet. Many people in this room have stared in the face of death. You know what it's like to have a face-to-face encounter. Maybe you were sitting in your doctor's office and you got a bad diagnosis. Maybe your doctors were preparing you for major surgery and you had to read the list of all of the dangers that can happen and then give your consent in written form. Perhaps you got a call that your friend from college died in a car accident. Maybe you got in a car wreck and the seat belt was the only thing that saved your life. Death, capital D death, has a way of showing us its power every once in a while. And sometimes death just takes. It takes your loved ones. It takes your husband or your wife or your friend or your child or your sister or your dad or your mom. That's what Mary says about death. She says, they have taken the Lord from us. Death is a thief. It steals and it robs. And this past year, in this pandemic, we have just been plundered by death. But death not only takes, it also taunts us. It flexes its muscles and taunts us in our weakness. Death says to us, look how close I am and you had no idea. Death says, You thought you were safe, but you're never safe. You thought you had your life protected and insulated, but you don't. You thought you could control your world, and then I showed you just how fragile your, your little world is. For the past month, I've just felt ridiculed by my powerlessness in the face of death. I couldn't believe that my pregnant wife, so close to the end, gets COVID. I couldn't fathom that the whole state of Texas was covered in a snowstorm. I couldn't have ever predicted that my daughter would be born with the condition that scares us. And each time in those situations, you do what you can. Hopefully, you do the best that you can. But each time, you feel this specter come so close to you and in the end prove to you just how weak you are. And each time, I've cried. I've cried seeing my daughter in her little isolette in the NICU. I cried driving to the hospital each afternoon because only one of us could visit her at a time. I cried because everything that happened to my wife and my daughter and my home was out of my control. And even if death never came into our home, death knocked on the door just a. No one asked me in the past month in all those tears, "Hey Mitch, why are you crying? Why are you sad?" And there was that there's nothing you can do to get out of life alive. Instead of being 4 weeks in the NICU, she shed her little shell in 11 days. She has good vision and good hearing. She but we're still waiting. And we don't know if that's going to come back. We don't know if that's going to come back with good news. But the gospel, the good news, the capital G, capital N, good news is not dependent on her diagnosis. It's not that God will keep bad things from happening to you. It's not. He does keep some bad things from happening. He keeps all kinds of bad things from happening that we don't ever even see, but he does not promise to God God himself went through bad things. He didn't even prevent it for himself. On Good Friday, God in the flesh died. The good news, the final say, death doesn't have the final word. The word of God has the final word. And the good news is not that each and every individual story in our life will end happy. It's that death is not the end of Christ's story. And because when you're united to him, death is not the end of your story. There's this author, Tish Harrison Warren. She, she wrote this book called Prayer in the Night. Go out and buy it. She and her husband had two daughters and they wanted a bigger family. And when they got pregnant for a third time, they lost their baby boy. And when they got pregnant for a fourth time, they lost their second baby boy. And when they got pregnant, unexpectedly, years later, they sat their daughters down and told them that they were pregnant for a third time. And one of their girls jumped up and down and spun around and kissed her mom's swelling stomach. But their oldest daughter burst into tears and wailed, believing that they would lose another baby brother. And Warren writes this, and I want to share this with you because it's so beautiful. She says, being pregnant opened me up to potential heartbreak. I could not promise my daughters that this baby would not die. We had no idea if our celebrating would turn to mourning or if our mourning would turn to celebrating. We had to wait in the unknowing and allow hope to slowly unfurl without any guarantees about how this story would end. But later that night, they went up to their oldest daughter's room, and they watched her spend hours drawing pictures of her new baby brother. And Warren writes, My daughter was praying in pencil and crayon. She took the brave step of feeling excitement again, and in doing so, opened herself up to the possibility of pain. If you open yourselves up to the possibility of excitement and joy, you are opening yourself up to the guarantee of pain. If you want to be joyful, you better get ready to shed tears because there's a lot that's worth crying over. But in the end, we are promised that the Lord will wipe away every single tear. There is a place with only joy and no more sorrow, only light and no more darkness, only life and no more death. We will have one big final cry and be done with all of our weeping. And in the meantime, we will shed many tears over the tragedies we face. And the gospel doesn't give us an explanation for our suffering. It doesn't give us an exemption from suffering. All it gives us is nothing more and nothing less than God himself. And it just so happens that God, in Jesus Christ, wept. And that means, even today that we are not alone in our tears. Let's pray. Father, there are so many stories here that I don't know. So much brokenness, so much death that so many people have faced in here, whether it's a cancer diagnosis, a a loved one passing away from COVID, someone dying of old age, A freak car accident, I pray Father that they know that you know what they're going through. Their prayers are not lost on you. I pray that they know the good news is not that we get an exemption from suffering or an explanation for suffering, We just get you. Nothing more and nothing less than Jesus himself. Father, I pray that you help us in the meantime, as we look forward to that day with no more tears, that you would be with us in our weeping, that you would comfort us like you comforted Mary. I pray that you help us comfort others. I pray that we're the kind of church that mourns with those who mourn and weeps with those who weep. And I pray that we always remember Christ's beatitudes, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.